Uh, we're uh, looking again at 1 Peter tonight. I think it's going to be the last time uh, we're going uh, to consider uh, our studies in this letter. Uh, we looked last Sunday evening at verses 10 and 11, uh, where you have uh, an amen uh, bringing to the close uh, the main part of the letter. And then as you find in most New Testament epistles, uh, just as it starts with greetings, uh, you have uh, closing uh, greetings uh, at the end. So I don't know if I'm going to be really preaching tonight, uh, more uh, tying uh, some uh, loose ends uh, at the end of the letter. It's always tempting uh, to pass these over, uh, but it is all the word of God, is it not? And so even when Peter is just mentioning uh, people by name, and uh, even a form of greeting, as we have in verse 14, uh, it's still uh, food for our souls. Uh, So let's see how we get on. Um, I'm glad Seth Johnson is uh, speaking later, so uh, (laughs) even if there is not much to say on these verses, uh, we'll be able to hear about what God is doing in Papua New Guinea. So let's read verses 12 to the end of 1 Peter 5. These are the closing greetings. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Before we proceed any further, I need to make a correction to something that I said last Sunday evening. Uh, We did get taught Latin in school, but I didn't go very far with it. Pros chiron is the Greek uh, for for a time. Uh, I said carpe diem, which is Latin... Uh, foresees the day. Uh, So I do need to make that uh, correction. Now, what have we got in these closing remarks? Well, I want you to notice first two people that I mentioned. Silvanus, verse 12, and Mark, verse 13. Uh, So Peter is saying, I've got Silvanus beside me, Uh, Actually, Silvanus was writing down the letter. So Peter was dictating, and Silvanus was his secretary, writing it down. And then he mentions John Mark in verse 13. Two very, very different people. So let's look at each one in turn. Who is Silvanus? Silvanus is Silas. That's why I read from Acts chapter 15. He was a Jew, but also a Roman citizen. He's very famous, of course, because he is Paul's uh, second companion in their missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And he is mentioned not just by Peter, uh, but he's mentioned also at the start of Paul's letters. Uh, We haven't got time to look at that now. I don't know if you noticed in the reading, Silas was also a prophet. And by that, 
I mean somebody who gave the word of God. In the New Testament church, they didn't have the complete canon of Scripture. So God still gave his word uh, through uh, men. And Silas was one of those. And he also went preaching uh, with the Apostle Paul. If you turn, for example, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a very interesting statement there about uh, Silvanus as well as Timothy. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 1. You'll see why I'm drawing your attention to this verse in a minute. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen. So what Peter is saying of Silas or Silvanus is he's faithful in his preaching. Uh, it wasn't a perhaps. It wasn't a yes one day or a no another day. It was yes. It was amen. Here is a man, Peter is saying, that is absolutely dependable. Look what he calls him by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him. Isn't that good? Isn't that something for us to emulate? I'm thinking here of Silas now as a man who could be trusted. Isn't it interesting that Peter has chosen him to be his letter writer? And not only that, but Silas had the task of taking the letter as a postman. Uh, to the churches in Asia Minor that Peter was writing to. That was quite a responsibility, wasn't it? Peter had to trust somebody to do that. And in our reading in Acts 15, when the Council of Jerusalem met and sent their letter to Antioch, Silas was one that they chose to escort it. Somebody who could be trusted. Are we trustworthy? Have you heard the word stickability? I like that word, stickability. I think Silas had that strength. Stickability. He would be with you through thick or thin. Always faithful. Uh, I don't know what you make of this hymn. Uh, we were going to sing it tonight. Uh, but some people struggle with uh, the... Uh, terminology in it. It's John Bunyan's description of a Christian. I actually quite like it, um, even though there's nothing about hobgoblins in the Bible. <laughs> it's the imagination of John Bunyan. Here is a Silas for you. Who would true valor see? Do you think of being courageous and brave? Let him come hither. One here will constant be. May we be like that. Come wind, Come weather. And then, hobgoblin, nor foul fiend, those monsters, those demons, can daunt his spirits. He knows he at the end shall life inherit. So Silas wasn't a, an apostle. He wasn't a leader. He, yes, he was a preacher, but he was also a secretary. 
And in these things, he was serving his Savior. You know, you don't have to be up front to serve the Lord in the church. You can be doing practical things for him. Oh, to be dependable, that's something very, very precious in the eyes of our Savior. And pray uh, for Ronda and for those working in the office that, that they will have this quality that Silas had. Uh, you know, pray for us as elders and deacons, uh, especially as elders, when we have to deal with confidences, uh, that, that we're trustworthy, that you're able to share with us, that you're not afraid uh, that uh, we will whisper to somebody else what you're sharing with us in secret. You know, trust is very vital, isn't it, for the people of God. So that's just a brief note about Silas. And then look at this other character, John Mark. He was a bit different to Silas. Silas was the one who was constant. John Mark, now John Mark had a good pedigree. Uh, John Mark's mother uh, was a Christian. The church met in her house in the early days in the book of Acts. So when Peter uh, was arrested and was released by the angel from prison, it was to John Mark's mother's house that he went. We read about John Mark probably in the Gospel of Mark, uh, the young man uh, that followed Peter when Jesus was arrested. And John Mark, uh, he was taken with Paul uh, and Silas. No, not with Paul and Silas, with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But do you know what happened then? When they got to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, John Mark didn't want to go on. He didn't have stickability, is he? He was afraid, and he turned back. And in our reading, when Paul was led to do his second missionary visit, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark again. But Paul said, I can't take him. He can't be relied on. And what happened? Paul and Barnabas split. And Barnabas went with Silas in one direction, and Paul chose. Uh, Barnabas went with John Mark in one direction. I've got too many names here. <laughs> and Paul chose who? Silas. Isn't that interesting? All these tensions. He chose Silas to go with him instead of Barnabas because of the bust-up about John Mark. What, what an interesting place the church is. People with different temperaments. People who let one another down in different ways. And yet, what do we find here? We find Mark is close to Peter. We're looking at Mark's gospel on Sunday mornings. Really, that's Peter's account of the life of Jesus. That's how close Mark and Peter had become. What I'm trying to say is this. Mark, to begin with, wasn't dependable. He disappointed Paul. He must have disappointed others. He went away. But by this point, he's come back. Hallelujah. He's come back. And you know what? I think Peter was very sympathetic in dealing with Mark. Didn't Peter know exactly what it felt like to disappoint not just his brothers and sisters, 
but his own saviour. And what did Jesus say to Peter when he restored it? He said, Simon, son of Jonas, when you are restored, strengthen your brethren. And I'm sure Peter got alongside John Mark and strengthened him in the Lord. Don't we need people like that in our church? Not just those like Silas who are stickable, but those who can be like Peter in being patient with those who have gone away from the Lord. You know, we're all a disappointment, aren't we? You know, uh, I've got that temperament, I think, where I'm constantly uh, too hard on myself. Um, I was reading this afternoon about one pastor in Philadelphia. He used to try and strengthen people who felt like that. They were constantly uh, thinking uh, negative thoughts about themselves. And you know what this pastor would say? He would say, cheer up. You're much worse than you think you are. (laughs) But the grace of Jesus Christ is much greater than you imagine it to be. You know, that's the right approach, isn't it? Cheer up. We're all disappointments. But our saviour is one who restores backsliders. The grace of God. What did we sing this morning? Grace that reaches deeper, or love that reaches deeper than depths of self-despair. Don't we need Peter's dealing patiently with John Marks? Didn't people used to wear these badges with these letters on? Let me get it right. B-P-W-M-P-G-I-F-W-M-Y. They must have been large badges. Do you know what they stood for, those letters? Be patient with me, please. God isn't finished with me yet. Shouldn't we all metaphorically wear those badges We're so easy, aren't we, to find faults with one another. If grace is what created the church, may grace be the atmosphere that permeates the church so that we're all patient with one another. Instead of seeing one another's faults, we concentrate on one another's strengths. Be patient with me, please. As your pastor, God isn't finished with me yet. And you can say the same to me as well. Be patient. Um, Is it in the Harry Potter stories? Uh, You've got Professor Dumbledore, and he is uh, highlighted as a man who gives people second chances. You know, Jesus Christ is better than that. How many chances has he given us? Not just second chances. He gives chances to the nth degree. What a saviour. So, Silas, John Mark, two very different characters and then if you think of the church how can you have a group of people where you have a mix of those different kinds of people what can bring the Silas's and the John Marks together especially when you realize that it was over John Mark that Paul and Barnabas is split and Silas was the one chosen to replace uh, Barnabas that's a recipe for tensions, isn't it? What brings these people together? Well, look at a phrase which I'd rather not speak on, but we have to because it's in the word of God. Verse 14, greet one another. 
with a kiss of love. This is what brings different people together in the church. Now, what does this kiss of love mean? Uh, let's start by saying what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean. Have, have you been in services where, where you've been forced maybe to hug or kiss another Christian? I remember going to one church. It's the nearest I've ever come to walking out of a service. I wasn't preaching. I was in the congregation. And halfway through the service, the pastor stopped. And he said to the congregation, Now then, I want you to turn to the person either next to you or behind you. Don't worry, I'm not going to do this now. <laughs> and give them a good hug. I don't, I don't think it was a kiss. It was a hug to show you how much you love them. Now, that, that's forced, isn't it? This is something much deeper than something that was forced. And I think I had a person with a plastic smile on their face. And I was very tempted not to give a hug of love, but a punch of love. <laughs> Are there such things? I don't know. So that's not what it means. You can't force it. On the other extreme, it's interesting to see what some of the really reformed commentators try to say about this. They're a bit embarrassed by it, and they're trying to say, well, in Peter's day, it was a kiss that people used to greet one another, and that's true. Uh, they do it in France today, a kiss on the cheek. I can't remember how many kisses, but th there is a form of greeting. And then they say, for us, it's a stiff handshake. You see, they're afraid of the emotions here. A stiff handshake. I don't think somehow Peter is meaning that. There's a fervor here, isn't there? That brings different kinds of people together. A Silas and a Mark, who may have been offended. But this love brings together there is a warmth here. A handshake doesn't always exude warmth. So what does it mean? Look at another word. Verse 13. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you. Now what does that mean? It can't mean the literal Babylon, because Peter wasn't in Babylon. Peter was in Rome when he wrote this letter. And Rome stands for the center in Peter's day of the world system. Uh, and Babylon in the Bible is uh, the place where the people of God were taken captive to. It's symbolic of the world and its oppression to the church. And Peter is writing to warn Christians about the coming persecution that will arise from Rome under the Emperor Nero. Now, can you get now where the holy kiss is coming from? Peter is saying, we now are in exile. Just as the Jews were dispersed in the Old Testament, now we, the true uh, church of God, are in exile, dispersed all over the land. We are in Babylon, in other words. And what is our message to the world? Well, our message is this. We have been uh, forgiven by God in Jesus Christ. There is a peace that God brings, that reconciles people together. And we are here to demonstrate that love to you. This holy kiss, as Paul calls it, this kiss of love in the words of Peter, is surely this standing together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our witness to a lost world 
that there is such a thing as reconciliation to be had in the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you see what Peter is saying? It's not just a form of greeting, is it? It's more than that. It's this solidarity, and even more than that, it's this bond. That's strong, isn't it? This bond of love. Don't we need to show that more and more in these days? There is polarization in society. We are going to celebrate in November the anniversary of one wall coming down, the Berlin Wall, but there's another wall going up on the Mexican border. We stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the gospel is a message of reconciliation, isn't it? And so this kiss of love is... You don't have to literally kiss one another. We're not going to ask those standing at the door to greet you with a kiss as you come into the church. It's much deeper than that. It's much more than a handshake. It's much more than a hug. It's this brotherly love that we have in Christ. In Babylon, in a hostile environment. Don't you want to know more and more of this love? Now, can I expand on this a bit? I've mentioned Silas, I'm getting my names right here, and Mark. This love brings together different personalities. Are there personalities in this church? There must be personalities in a congregation this big who rub each other the wrong way. My friend, it's the love of God in Christ that will bind you together. Not your own personality. There's something even greater here, is there not? Jew and Gentile. The Jews had considered the Gentiles as dogs. You didn't even eat with them. The Pharisees didn't even go into a Gentile's house. But now Peter is writing to Jews who've been converted and Gentiles who've been converted. And wonder of wonders, as we'll hear from David Zadok on Wednesday, they are found together in the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a miracle? It's the love of Christ that has brought that about. This kiss of love is a demonstration of that. Um, I remember hearing uh, about uh, this church many decades ago when there was conflict in the Middle East. Um, there still is, but there, there was a war on between Arab and Jew. And in this church, <laughs> there were Arabs and Jews sitting together. Oh, what wonderful, wonderful. That's a powerful witness, isn't it? What else? There were slaves here, and there were masters. And Peter is saying, when you enter the threshold of the church, you may have a status in society, but once you come in through that door, you are equal to your brother and sister in Christ. Imagine the power of that that a slave could be an elder over his master in the church. You know, a lot of problems in churches in recent years have been caused by people who have a, an important job in the world. And I'm talking about Christians now. And then they become a deacon or an elder in the church and they bring that baggage into the church. They think that because they have a status out there that somehow they can push their weight about in the church. That is unbiblical. In the church, we are all servants. 
there is only one master, that is Jesus Christ. The different ministries we may have is all due to different gifts. And those gifts are not our own. They're given by him to serve him. That's the church. Isn't it the opposite of the world? And isn't there something else? I mentioned this morning uh, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries that were killed by the Indians in Ecuador, 1956. Not long ago, is it? Do you know what happened afterwards? It's a thrilling story. I haven't got time to go into it. But the Missionary Society, they sent more missionaries a few years later to the same place. And those Indians didn't kill them. They were converted. Think. Those missionaries would have known Jim Elliott and the others that were killed. They could have said, I can't forgive those Indians for what they did. Those Indians did a terrible thing in murdering those missionaries, but they were given new hearts. And now you've got those who murdered together with those who knew those who had been murdered. And they're all in the church worshipping the same saviour that's grace you don't get that in the world that's the power of christ's love uh, the kiss of love we as it were love one another because he has first loved us on the mount of crucifixion we looked at it this morning on the mount of crucifixion flowed a fountain deep and wide through the floodgates of god's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide there's been floods today in North Wales. The River Conway has bursted banks. There was a flood of grace 2,000 years ago on the cross, and that flood is still flowing. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant, and it's still pouring from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. If we've been kissed by the love of Jesus, we can forgive one another, can't we? We haven't murdered people, and people haven't murdered our relatives. I don't think so. We can forgive one another. Well, I, I must come to a conclusion, um, because Seth Johnson is talking later. I'm reminded of Klaus Peter when he first went to Papua New Guinea, when he first encountered the Fayu people. You know, their form of greeting was a hug, I think. Uh, in Klaus Peter's book, you read of near-naked women hugging Klaus Peter. That, that must have required great grace. Great grace. <coughs> don't, don't you want this gospel to go out from this church to this city? Don't you want people to say of us at the heath, see how they love one another and it's not it's not just in the big things is it this kiss of love is showing our love to one another in all sorts of ways when your family you know don't you uh, that even if you don't like the person because they're related to you you're going to love them you're, you're, you're going to help them and how much stronger are the ties that bind us together in Jesus Christ we're family it's not friends we're meant to be. It's brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And what a demonstration of love that is to this city. Don't you want this city to see? And don't you want this gospel not just to go out into this city, not just into Wales, but as it is doing, into all the world. 
Oh, what a privilege to be pastor of a church that has, through God's grace, seen people go out into nearly every corner of the earth. To God be the glory for that. You know, it's such a great family to be part of. And may we realise more and more how much we've been loved by Jesus Christ and then demonstrate that love to one another, that warmth, that fervent love, as Peter calls it. And then he ends the letter with the peace, uh, the peace of God, the peace of Christ, that shalom in Hebrew. And one commentator says, the roar of the lions, which some of these Christians were going to have to face in the arena, or the flames of persecution, cannot overthrow the shalom of Christ's salvation. May we know that shalom in our hearts and that love of Jesus Christ flowing from us for his namesake. Amen.